This episode is brought to you by Galactic Fed, the award-winning digital marketing agency that I personally use and whose co-founders have both been interviewed on The Maverick Show, Zach Boyette and Irina Popik. Now, I personally use Galactic Fed for search engine optimization and conversion rate optimization, but they also offer services for email marketing, social media, website design, paid media, and more. They're basically a full-service end-to-end growth marketing solution. And they were founded by two digital nomads as a fully remote company, which now has 150 staff in 27 countries, so they understand remote entrepreneurs. What I love about working with Galactic Fed is, first of all, their team is fun and amazing, and I'm smiling and laughing on pretty much every call that we have, but I also love their scientific approach to growth marketing. They've worked with companies of all sizes and industries, ranging from edible arrangement to PixArt, and they've developed battle-tested digital marketing solutions that produce results that are scalable and repeatable. And Galactic Fed now wants to help you grow your business. They're offering you a completely free marketing plan for your business, which you can get at galacticfed.com. That's galacticfed.com. And if you do decide to work with them, like I do, just mention The Maverick Show and you'll get 10% off your first month of services. To learn more and get your completely free marketing plan, just go to galacticfed.com. That's galacticfed.com. And now here's a clip from what's coming up on today's episode. I am currently in North Carolina today. Yep. And Petey Pablo <laughs> is, is from <laughs> Petey Pablo is from North Carolina. And I hear that you do a mean Petey Pablo impression. So I'm wondering if you can take us out with a Petey Pablo impression for the Maverick Show listeners. North Carolina, raise up, take your shirt off, twist it around your head, spin it like a helicopter. This is The Maverick Show, where you'll meet today's most interesting real estate investors, entrepreneurs, and world travelers, and learn the strategies and tactics they use to succeed. And now, here's your host, Matt Bowles. Hey, everybody. It's Matt Bowles. Welcome to The Maverick Show. My guest today is Sean Tierney. He is a serial entrepreneur, the host of Nomad Podcast and the founder of Charity Makeover, which organizes volunteers from around the globe to virtually contribute their unique skills as part of a coordinated effort to dramatically improve and augment a designated set of charities in just a single weekend. From copywriting to social media marketing to brand building to website design to fundraising, Charity Makeover organizes battalions of volunteers with diverse skill sets to build new or improved digital assets for the designated charities in the areas needed most. 
As COVID-19 increasingly impacts the world, Charity Makeover has pivoted to a completely virtual model so volunteers can contribute from anywhere in the world and support the growing number of organizations that most need help right now. Sean, welcome back to the show. My man, thanks for having me back. Much appreciated. If anybody has not heard the first two Sean Tierney episodes, I highly recommend you go check those out. Those were numbers 21 and episode number 39. And Sean, you know, I was actually just thinking about this today in terms of our geographic locations that we've been in over these last few episodes. The first episode that we recorded, episode 21, we were both in South America together. We're in Brazil. Mm -hmm. The second episode, I was in Africa, in Nigeria, and you were in Lisbon, Portugal, in Europe. And now today, I am in North America. I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. And you are in Asia, in Bali, Indonesia. So we have now officially covered five continents with our interviews. <laughs> it's pretty amazing, yes. <laughs> Let's just start off with setting the context for this interview and timing and everything as people listen to this. I just want to sort of clarify the context. So it is currently, we are at the very end of March and the COVID-19 pandemic uh, has been escalating incredibly rapidly here. The United States has now just uh, has surpassed Italy and China and now has the most confirmed cases of any country in the world right now. And so uh, I wanted to also check in with you. You are on the other side of the globe, 12 hours uh, difference, and you are in Bali, Indonesia. So tell us a little bit about what is it like in Bali right now? Where are you guys and how are you? Yeah, so we are, there's a small group of us on the north side of the island here. Uh, closest town, I think, is called Tianyar. Uh, but we were in Chenggu uh, until about a week ago, at which point I just wanted to get out of Chenggu. It just seemed like I could see the writing on the wall in terms of all these crowded cities becoming hot zones. And so I put together kind of a little mini bug out plan for a group of us and secured a villa on the north side of the island. And we've got like multiple sources of fresh water up here. You know, we're right on the ocean. We got fresh fish, like the fishermen come in literally probably 50 yards from where I am now. Um, and so we just have a really good setup here. And yeah, it just felt right to, to kind of get out of the hustle and bustle of Chenggu. Uh, they've since been making road closures. We just had the Hindu New Year holiday called Nyepi, and they've actually extended that holiday. So they've, they've now made it multiple days of people staying at home and not doing anything. So we're just kind of waiting to see how this all plays out. But this feels like the right place to be. What is the wine situation, Sean? <laughs> uh, our wine situation is grim. So we had four bottles. We have one bottle left amongst four people. And so while normally we would be sipping wine on our respective ends here. Uh, I am just doing tea today because I think I'd probably be excommunicated from this little commune if I took our last bottle of wine to drink it on the show. 
Well, you came through last time in the last interview. I was in Lagos, Nigeria, and you were in Lisbon, Portugal, and you opened a bottle of Portuguese wine by yourself alone in the workspace and drank through it as we did the <laughs> as we did the interview. So, so I'm stepping up tonight. I've got a bottle of uh, Chianti here from Italy that I have opened and will be sipping through and uh, cheersing to you, my friend, uh, as I do that. You're drinking for both of us. <laughs> That's it, man. That's it. That's it, baby. You know, we got to step up in these challenging times and support each other, you know? Yep. Well, let me ask you a little bit, you know, on a more serious note, because I know you actually have a background in disaster preparedness. And I want to just sort of, you know, ask you for any tips that you have for the listeners. And I actually also want to kind of throw this out there, you know, in the beginning, just to sort of contextualize my question a little bit more and get you to speak to this. I want to ask you about disaster preparedness, you know, and people being, you know, preparing to be safe and healthy. But also, I want to ask you about that with a socially responsible lens, because I feel like, you know, a lot of the sort of stereotypical tropes, if you will, of some of these concepts of disaster preparedness is images of people hoarding, you know, goods and stuff like that. And there's been a lot of challenges with that in the United States, you know, to be honest with people just buying a lot more than they need of, you know, everything from hand sanitizer and toilet paper to, you know, different types of foods and stuff. And what happens is then, you know, that doesn't leave enough for other people, you know, neighbors and other people in the community that also need those things. And so, you know, I want to ask you to speak a little bit about disaster preparedness, but then also, you know, how should we be thinking about social responsibility and taking care of the, our entire community at this time? Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's a balance, right? I think proper disaster preparedness, it doesn't become an issue because you've already done this in advance and you're not scrambling at the last minute as everyone is now and hoarding. So yeah, so I think it's a balance and I think you need to be conscious of, you know, not wiping out a store of everything. I heard some guy like bought all the hand sanitizer up and then was selling it. And I mean, it's just like, that's not cool, but you know, you take enough for yourself and then, uh, be respectful and, and ensure that others have some for themselves. Uh, I mean, prepping goes way beyond like supply gathering and stuff. You know, there's a whole art to it, but yeah, in terms of what the, the question that you're asking about, like how to mesh, you know, having enough for yourself versus not hoarding and, and putting others, you know, in harm's way by, by taking all the supplies. Uh, yeah, I think you just have to be respectful and, and just walk that line. Yeah, for sure. So do you have any sort of constructive tips that you want to give people in terms of how to, you know, think about situations like this, you know, to be responsible and prepared, but also, you know, not to be panicked and not to be, you know, doing some of that, the, the hoarding and other insensitive sort of individualistic things, but to, in terms of that lens, do you have any specific tips in terms of how people should approach this as the situation continues to escalate? Yeah. So I guess quick context so you understand. So I, in a former life, ran a startup called Survival School TV. And this was probably six years ago uh, when I lived in Newport Beach, California. And I was trying something different. I had kind of this vision for, could we prepare a population to weather something like we're seeing now, not necessarily a pandemic, but other, you know, acts of terrorism and other different types of disasters. And if you have enough people in the population who have basic emergency medical skills, uh, basic survival skills, like self-defense and just 
a suite of stuff. Once you have enough critical mass of those people in the population, I believe the entire society becomes more safe as a whole. And so that was the vision of that startup. And it fortunately took me, you know, through interviewing a lot of interesting people and acquiring some of these skills myself. But the way you want to think about it is that, you know, there's just some fundamentals like, you know, thermoregulation, water, fire, shelter, defense, entertainment, like sanity, like some of these core concepts to keeping well. And you prepare on those fronts and it's going to be context specific to whatever your situation is. Uh, In our case, I went out and got us, you know, three different filtration systems for water and looked it did some research and found out where on the island was like a triangle between three different sources of freshwater waterfalls and a freshwater lake and well water and so it's just like about kind of thinking through some of these things and preparing as if this is going to be a long-term you know hold up in a spot for a while and the the time horizon that i was looking at was five to six months and so i wanted to prepare us to hunker down and be in that situation as if we had to exist for that long and not grid dependent Um, So in terms of your listeners, I think just thinking about those core things, uh, there's actually some good resources out there. I am not Mormon, but there is the LDS preparedness manual out there is actually really well done. It's one of their core foundational things. It's not my religion, but in terms of practicality, they do a good job in uh, on the front of prepping. So that's something that's this stuff is interesting. You can go check that out. There's also a PDF out there that is the Army Survival Manual. Uh, If you want a little more hardcore of a bent to it, you can go check that out. But those are all free resources online, good places to start. And then, of course, there's plenty of books that have been written on the subject. So let me ask you, I mean, just in terms of, you know, you specifically right now, let's say you have a six-month plan and let's just say we're expecting to be basically, you know, quarantined, sheltering in place, whatever you want to call it which I've been doing as well for a couple of weeks now before, you know, any government agency said to do it because it was clearly the responsible thing to do, not just for my own safety, but for the safety of others. Right. And so we've been and I'm with my parents here at their house. So it's the three of us um, who have been sheltering in place. And so we're just, you know, in the house. And the only time we go outside is to get exercise in the fresh air, which we can easily do in the mountains of Western North Carolina without coming within six feet of another human being. It's very easy to jog or walk outside without uh, any kind of, you know, social proximity to other people, physical proximity. So that's pretty much how we've been living. All of our groceries get delivered, you know, with the literally the only time we go outside the house is for that outdoor exercise. Um, And so, but when people are doing this and they're, you know, physically distancing themselves from other people and they're isolating. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, your situation with that, you know, in terms of the, you know, environment and ambiance there that you guys have set up, who you're with, and then, you know, any tips you have for just sort of emotionally keeping spirits up, you know, if you're looking at like a six month duration of being isolated, quarantined, whatever you want to call it, what kind of strategies are there for people to keep their spirits up, keep laughing and keep, you know, a positive environment, even though there's, you know, obviously really challenging and distressing stuff going on outside and around the world? Yeah, for sure. So first off, our setup, I mean, we're, I I wish I could show you a video of this place right now, but we are in a tropical paradise. So I recognize we're, we're very much amongst a, a lucky fraction of a percent of people who are just living in a really nice setup. Um, so that certainly helps uh, my state of mind. Uh, but there's four of us up here. They're all Nomad Cruise people who you know, Helen, Dennis, and Victor from the cruise. 
we're all in good spirits. I mean, things could be far worse. So I think just, you know, being grateful for the scenario that we have is the biggest antidote you can have gratitude. And we can talk more about gratitude later in terms of immune function and all that. But uh, I think that's your number one weapon is just truly being grateful for whatever setup it is that you have. And even if it's, you know, in a cold environment and, you know, maybe at least you have some warmth. So like seeing a, a different way to look at it, that you can still be truly grateful for whatever your setup is. In terms of tactics and strategies for long term keeping spirits up. I had a whole section that was basically like games and bringing the guitar up here and downloading movies and getting just stuff to take our mind off the scenario. And so, you know, that's the obvious stuff. You know, if someone's down, you go talk to them and you support them and you just get through it together. Beyond that, I think just the the connectedness. I mean, we're all lucky. The fact that we're able to do this interview on the opposite side of the world right now and talk to each other, you know, and hear each other's voice and support each other like that. To me, we have such a wealth of technology at this point where you can literally talk to anyone you want right now if you need the help. So if you're feeling isolated, I know there's even like people making themselves available, mental health workers in New York. I think there's something like 15,000 mental health workers that stepped up and volunteered because there's, you know, just a lot of people struggling with this, uh, having never had to deal with quarantine and isolation before. So but there's resources out there. You just have to look for them, I think. And so between that and the technology to, to connect you with them, I think we have all the tools we need if we take the initiative to use them. Yeah, I agree with that. And I think, you know, in terms of the nomenclature that's being used around the term social distancing, I think it's almost a little bit, you know, misleading because I think what we need to be doing, of course, is physical distancing and not coming within six feet of other humans that are not living in our house with us. But we need to actually have increased amount of social connection virtually, right? Yeah. So physical distancing, physical distancing, but social connection. And as we're physically distanced and isolated, we actually need more of the social connection than we would normally. And so reaching out to those people and doing, you know, I literally did a video wine party happy hour with my remote year group, Sean, on Tuesday night. And we had over 25 people on a Zoom call, on video. And it was literally as if we were all sitting around in the same room and we were joking with each other. And it was just like it was when we were traveling the world together for a year and we'd all go out at night and have 25 people sitting around in a bar. We literally recreated that virtually. Everybody had a glass of wine or a whiskey or whatever was their thing. And we just literally kicked it and joked around for like three hours. It was amazing. That's awesome. Yeah, I I think that's a really good insight that you have in terms of like words are important. And when you use repeated words, social distancing, you're right, it's physical distancing, but we need to compensate with almost heightened, you know, social proximity virtually to, to offset that. So I think it's actually a really good insight. 100%. The other thing, Sean, that you're particularly good at, and I only know this because I've stayed with you in Airbnbs around the world in a lot of different continents, is getting your physical fitness in, even if you're in an incredibly limited or confined space. You're, You're one of the best examples of that that I know because I travel a lot, stay with a lot of different people. And I'm wondering if you could give some tips on that because a lot of people 
of course, in any kind of you know stressful or challenging situation, exercise is incredibly important. And as you know, people can no longer go to the gym, and some people, depending on where they live in the world, are literally restricted to like their own property. Like they can't even go out and, you know, do things. And so can you give some tips in terms of getting your exercise and your fitness in and how you do that? Any hacks or techniques or things that you use, even if you're literally confined to your own property, how do you structure your fitness regimen? Yeah, absolutely. So I use uh, something called a TRX, which is a suspension trainer. It's basically like these straps and you can hang them on a door frame or on a tree or whatever and you lift your body weight and so you can work pretty much every muscle group i have a routine i just do back biceps chest triceps shoulders abs and legs but yeah this is something like i haven't belonged to a gym since i've been traveling and i've traveled now for over four years uh, and this is just a really great thing it folds down to about the size of you know a softball and uh, you take it with you. And so you have a gym wherever you go. So we have this set up right now. Uh, it's strung up over one of the beams here. And I do that every other day. And then I run on the other day. So uh, yeah, no, I think for people that don't have, you know, happen to have that, I don't know if Amazon's still running there, you can order one, but you can get creative, you can do body weight exercises, like burpees are a great thing to do. Uh, Push ups, sit ups, plank, just make use of your body weight and work as many muscle groups as you can. Uh, There's a lot of mobile apps that you'll find if you start looking for exercise apps. There's plenty of free ones out there where they'll come up with uh, exercise uh, routines and they'll just guide you through them. And yoga, same thing. So I think, again, we've got all this technology. We have the capacity to get answers and do this stuff. It's just a matter of being cognizant of what we need. And you're right, the exercise and endorphins and all that, it's, it's critical to our sanity every day to get some good exercise. Absolutely. And I want to also get back to getting your take on the importance of gratitude and the importance of contribution, making an impact, helping others that are in a more challenging situation than we are, and why that's so important to do right now. Can you talk a little bit about you know the psychology behind that and so forth? Yeah, for sure. So there's studies that indicate that gratitude plays this key role that when you're practicing gratitude and things like charitable contributions with your time or your money, that you're actually improving your immune response. And what it's doing is it's stimulating the parasympathetic nervous system, which then leads to lower cortisol and cortisol is the stress. It's responsible for the stress response in your body. So when you're, when your body is flooded with cortisol it's the fight or flight scenario. It's designed to give you that immediate boost of adrenaline and to the ability to get out of a nasty situation. But stress long term leads to it's not helpful. It's just this constant, you know, you're bathing your body in cortisol, which then actually has some very negative effects. And so gratitude has kind of this antidote effect where you're reducing cortisol, you're increasing, I believe it's called oxytocin. Uh, which is like a neurotransmitter associated with euphoria and pair bonding or something. So I'm going to butcher the science on this, but go read about it. But there's plenty of studies that say gratitude is this kind of miracle drug of actually improving our endocrine function and our immune response. So we recognize this, you know, we do it with the charity makeover stuff is kind of our way of giving back. It's a way of doing this at scale and becoming kind of a vessel so that other people can plug in 
and just use our framework and make their own contributions. So we, we've done this, uh, Trinity Makeover, like I went all in on this a month ago. I quit my full-time job to focus on this project and it just kind of happened to coincide with the timing here where our last event, it will probably be the last physical event that we do for some time now because events aren't really going to be a thing for a while. So we are in the process of retooling our whole online platform and experience to support this idea of virtual charity makeovers. And we feel like we're in a really unique position right now because not only do the charities need this so badly, like all these charities that already kind of live, you know, very close to the edge are now on the ropes with what's happening. And so uh, we see it not only as being kind of this critical saving function to keep them alive, but also weirdly the volunteers now more so than ever need this experience. Uh, People I think are driving themselves crazy right now. They have all this time on their hands. They're quarantined. They're reading the news way too much. They're like psyching themselves out and getting stressed. And ironically, that is putting them more at risk, which then is going to make you more stressed out, which leads to this kind of negative spiral. So if we can kind of, I don't know, like intercede there and give people a creative outlet to put their unique skills to work in a positive way, I think kind of infusing some of that gratitude into people's lives could actually end up being like this really important function. So that's why we're so heads down on, on trying to make these pivot. 100%, man. You know, the other night, it was really interesting just to sort of give you an example of exactly what you're talking about. Our mutual friend, Stella Airoldi, who Maverick Show listeners know uh, from episode 14, uh, she runs this incredible program in Uganda for kids that are in, in extreme poverty situations and they're able to go to school and they're able to get a meal at the school and they're able to, you know, there's you know, hundreds of kids. And the school is the entire thing. That's the education. That's also the, the meal. That's also, you know, it's everything for them. And so when COVID-19 hit, they did the responsible thing for health purposes, of course, which is to close the schools, obviously. But what happened was that created a situation where those kids were no longer then going to be able to get a meal in that school. And that is the only meal that most of those kids get for the entire day. So it was a situation where literally they announced a school closure and then 375 kids literally don't know where their next meal is going to come from the following day. And so Stella put out a call about this, a notice about this, and I was able to jump in immediately. I was actually, to be honest, feeling, you know, kind of down and everything, you know, that particular night. I saw this notice from Stella and I said, I got to do something about this. And so I decided to make a donation and I put a call out to other people to also join me in making donations so that we could raise enough money to make sure that these kids were going to be able to eat some food for you know the duration here while this was going on, but literally starting like tomorrow, like to make sure that like for the next week they were going to have food on the table. And so I donated immediately and then I put out, I wrote a book call and I put it out to, you know, my network and stuff. And then people started just donating and everybody came together and they've now raised, I think, 5,000 euros in the last week or so, which is going to be enough to get these kids through with the basic food and, and things that they need for the you know short term here. So that really, 
I could feel what that was doing to me, right? Like as whatever challenges or I was experiencing personally, when I, you know, was involved with focusing on this really, really important cause and I was bringing in other people in to get involved with me and we were all working together to make a difference in people that had a much worse situation than we did. That made me, you know, just my whole spirits rose up and I just had a bigger picture perspective on the whole situation, which was so significant. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, what comes to mind is the phrase when they say like the quickest way to get wealthy is to realize the value of what you already have or something along those lines. And, it, and to me, gratitude, I don't know the exact mechanism, you know, they cite all these chemicals and neurotransmitters and whatnot. But like, to me, mentally, that's essentially what's happening is you're, you catapult your mental wealth instantly, you just realize how lucky you are, recognizing what you have. And I think you experience that firsthand. And I think it's a powerful thing, for sure. Absolutely. So, all right. So let's talk more about Charity Makeover. And I want to actually start just for context for people. This might be the first episode that they are hearing with you and hearing about Charity Makeover. But even if they heard the last episode, we literally recorded that a year ago. So yeah. can you talk about what Charity Makeover is and the sort of progression and what's going on, especially in the last year when you've been ramping it up since our last interview, what types of organizations have you worked with, what types of things have been accomplished, and just give people that context? Yeah, for sure. So uh, this was an experiment that started in 2013 in Phoenix, Arizona, and it originated because I had gone to a handful of these events called Startup Weekend. I'm actually friends with Andrew Hyde, who was the founder of that initiative. Uh, but basically what that was is a number of people come together in a weekend and try to build a product from scratch and launch it at the end of the weekend. And I love those events. They were amazing. It's just such an incredible learning experience when you have people of all these different skill sets who get together and they're focused on just delivering a product in a weekend. You learn so much. You become really good friends. Like the whole experience is just incredible. So I ended up going to nine of those uh, and I led three of them and I just got kind of obsessed with that model. But in the process of doing that, I also recognized that what would happen almost every time is these teams would come together, amazing ideas would form, we'd build a product, and then at the end of that, everyone had day jobs and they'd go back to their respective companies and these things that we created would kind of just be orphaned and thrown away. And so I started thinking about it like, well, you know, we could get the same experience if, but instead of just inventing something from scratch that's going to get thrown away, which is pretty wasteful, what if instead we paired up, we found local charities, and we did the same thing, only that we'd build stuff for them who really needed it. And at the end of that weekend, they would be way better off, they would love it, and there would be someone to take forward the stuff that we created. So that was kind of the genesis of the idea. We did it, uh, again, in 2013 was the very first one. We did it for a company, uh, an organization called Veteran Tickets. And then a handful after that, Seeds for Autism, I think was the second one, Tumbleweed, Youth Shelter. Uh, anyways, so we did these uh, and we would build just whatever assets we thought could make the most difference for them. So for the veteran tickets, they had issues with their algorithm for distributing tickets. So we we're helping on that front. Seeds for Autism, we built them a scholarship program for their young adults with autism to help put them through that program and give them an opportunity basically for voc vocational skills training after high school. So yeah, so fast forward, this was an effort that I had kind of always had in the background and it just languished because I had, you know, I had a full-time job and I had a side hustle. And so this was kind of like third on the totem pole 
yeah, so no, it got revived on Nomad Cruise 8. I pitched it to their, uh, what's called their Piranha Tank, which is basically like a little mini shark tank. And that's basically what resuscitated this effort. Uh, there was enough interest in it there. Enough people wanted to do it. So we held one in Lisbon and that kind of rebirthed the project. We then did another one in Barcelona, had a really good result. And this last one that we did just last or two weekends ago was our biggest one yet. We had 32 volunteers. We had six charities that we supported and it was phenomenal. It was just a a great end result. I think the feedback from that one was that it was amazing. Unfortunately, that is, like I said, probably the last one that we'll be able to do in person. But the good news is this model, there's nothing about it that dictates that it must be done in person. It's just, I think it works particularly well in person, but we are making the tweaks necessary now to be able to do this strictly online. Can you talk about some of the results that you got for some of the charities? Like just give some tangible examples or like what are some of the types of things that the volunteers did when they participated in charity makeover so people can get a a sense of that, what it's like? Yeah, it's always different. We don't have a like a, a boilerplate thing that we do for everyone. Although I think as time goes on, we will start to get these little playbooks that we can do repeatedly that just are design patterns we know that work. Uh, but, you know, like I mentioned, the scholarship program for the Seeds for Autism folks, we raised, I think, $5,000 in the first month of implementing that. So that was a nice win for them. The Monkey Sanctuary that we are still working with in Cordoba, Argentina. And you guys actually, your group worked on that project as well. And so that's one where we did a lot. In, in the course of a weekend, we built a website, a professional video, a crowdfunding platform, an accounting system and a CRM system for them to track their volunteers. And all of that, they had none of that prior to that. They were using like a yellow pad for all their accounting and volunteer tracking and everything. So uh, just giving them the infrastructure that they didn't have and then training them and teaching them on how to use it is a huge win. Unfortunately, that particular charity is really impacted right now. It's a monkey sanctuary with 170 howler monkeys and as you might imagine, they've had to close the sanctuary now to both volunteers as well as visitors, and those animals are now at risk. Uh, so they lost all their free labor supply as well as all of their income from visitation. And so we are scrambling now to do an emergency fundraising drive for them. Uh, we've got some really good ideas that's going to leverage the crowdfunding platform that we built for them and also use the remote year network to hopefully jumpstart that. But this is the type of thing that we can do is because we have people from all these different skill sets and copywriting and marketing and email marketing and designers and whatnot, we can very quickly converge on a problem and bring all these different viewpoints and ideate a solution and then execute that solution in very short order. And that's the magic of it. So talk a little bit about this virtual pivot, right? In light of COVID-19, you guys are now 100% virtual, which changes the game a bit. And I imagine you know, throws a bit more challenge into it. But at the same time, I also imagine that it opens it up so much more broadly because if you guys can literally do it virtually, that means that anyone from anywhere in the world can participate without any geographic restrictions at all, right? That's right. Yeah, so with anything, there's some challenges and there's some opportunities. And you nailed it. Like not being in the room, like the beauty of being in the room together is just... It's what Alistair Coburn calls erg seconds, E-R-G, erg seconds. It's the store of energy it takes to transmit, like communicate little things. And when you add distance and add complexity, then little decisions end up compounding and it, t- it becomes harder and harder to make 
like to get anything done. So being in the room is really nice. You have like that most full bandwidth face to face. You've got the charity people there. You've got all the workers there and decisions can happen really quickly and you can get through these feedback loops and build stuff, you know, in a day, which is what we do. Doing it virtually, yes, it adds more erg seconds into the equation and it makes it so there's a little bit more lag and, you know, there's no body language communication and that type of stuff. But like you said, it gives us a bigger pool of workers to draw upon and as well, a lot more diversity in terms of who we can pull and skill sets that we can pull from. So I think overall, this is going to actually be a net win once we retool things to support this. Uh, We're putting in place some stuff to give us the presence, like the virtual video conferencing, you know, feel like you're in the same room. So hopefully that will compensate somewhat. And then already we use tools like Trello and Slack and Google Drive and GitHub that are, you know, persistent storage. So in other words, things where one group creates a set of stuff and it's easily handoffable to the next group who can just pick right up where they left off and continue working on stuff. So all that is already in place. It's really just a matter of compensating for that uh, lack of in-person interaction. Yeah, I think that sometimes restrictions that get imposed upon us force us to think more creatively. And as a result, sometimes much larger progress comes out of that. So I think that this is going to position you guys by forcing that virtual restriction upon you is going to force you to think about it and design it in a way that's actually going to allow you to scale it to incredibly larger levels than would have otherwise been the case in the long run. For sure. That's that's what we are thinking as well. So can you talk a little bit about with the fully virtual model, what does a charity makeover event now look like? So any listeners that might want to think about participating in one, volunteering, and they know that they can volunteer from their living room anywhere in the world, wherever they're hearing this podcast, they can volunteer to participate in a charity makeover event and donate their skills. What would an event look like? Are these things done in real time? You know, how does that work? Yeah, well, so this is an open question. Like, we're going to find out. Our, Our next one is April 11th. And so we'll see how it goes. But already the formula for this event, there's pieces of it that occur leading up to the actual workday that we do that, that sets us up for that success. So for instance, on this last one, what we did was we identified the people that we thought would be optimal team leaders, and we invited them to be basically the project manager for that team, uh, for the charity. Uh, and we meet with them We then set a virtual meet and greet with everyone. So actually, prior to that, I filmed videos with each of the charities so everyone can see what their needs are, what the proposed solutions are, and what kind of skills we need in the room. So people can start thinking about who they want to be involved with and who needs them most. The team leaders are then brought in, so they strategize. We get in sync on what's going to be built. And then it's up to the team leaders to start recruiting the people they need to execute the solutions that we proposed. And we have that virtual meet and greet about a week out uh, ahead of the event. And then people are in Slack during that time, communicating, forming teams. Team leaders basically let us know who's on their team. And then we finalize it and give people the necessary access to the different systems that they need. And then going into the event the night before, we have uh, what I call strategy kickoff. By that point, the strategy is pretty well set. And so it's more of a get everyone on the same page, make sure that nobody is still without a team, 
that everyone knows what they're doing. And then uh, the teams are meeting together basically so that they can make the most use of that next day and hit the ground running. So all that, like that is the process now with our physical events. There's already this virtual component leading into it. All that really changes at this point is the actual workday is no longer in the room that that's conducted remotely as well. It's not going to be too far of a stretch for us to make this pivot because we've already kind of had to do the virtual pieces anyways with the current model. Okay, so for anybody that's listening that is interested in participating, I mean, first of all, you know, what types of people can participate? What types of skills are you looking for and could add value to one of the, you know, volunteer teams? You know, how can somebody get involved in this or know if if they're the right person to get involved in this? Yeah, and this is, okay, so... The answer is we can take people of all types. Even if you think you don't have a skill to add, likely you do. And at the very least, we can always use data entry and just kind of the manual grunt work type, uh, you know, re- doing research, pulling data from different sites online, putting it in a spreadsheet, that type of stuff. So at the very least, I feel like everyone can do that. So I hope that no one feels like they they aren't technical enough to be involved because Yes, we have developers and yes, we have engineers and coders and all that, but we also have plenty of people doing design work and copywriting and data entry and you know marketing strategy and all that. So we need people of all different skill sets. The site right now, so I built us an application and version one of this application is done using a no-code tool that I was able to, like I'm not a coder and I was able to build this thing, but it now lets us basically display the charities we're working with, display the challenges they have, and then I'm able to code the needed skills against each one of those challenges such that when you come to the website, it shows exactly what we still need. And you can think about the skills you have and kind of match it against what we need and then claim those skills and get involved with that particular team. So that is there now. And we're just refining that process of like, how do we start to take this thing, which is kind of this dance, uh, like a very unautomatable dance of forming teams or whatnot. And how do we start to put more of an algorithm to that, uh, where it can be done as a process at scale virtually? Awesome. So let's just take this April 11th event as an example. If somebody's listening to this before April 11th, and for that matter, if somebody's listening to this after April 11th, I mean, you know, same question for the next event. If somebody wants to get involved? What should they do? And just maybe give us an example for the April 11th event. What kind of causes are you supporting? You know, what kind of people do you need? And and what should people do if they want to, you know, plug in and make a positive contribution here? Yeah, for sure. So in terms of causes we're supporting, the, we'll start with the base of the ones that we've already worked with. And then we typically take on a few new ones. And all of this is going to be a function of how much volunteer capacity we actually have. So the more volunteers we have, the more people we can serve up to a point we will likely cap it because this is our first virtual one. We don't want it to just fall on its face and take like way too many people and have it not work out for anyone. So we'll likely cap it, I'm guessing, at around 50 people. We had 30 people at the last one, so I think 50 is probably a realistic target for this one. But like Stella, Arialdi's charity, 22 Stars, as you mentioned, uh, I've invited her. Uh, we have a number of other ones. The East Bali Poverty Project was one we worked with. Uh, Esperanza in Barcelona, the Lisbon Project in Lisbon, and then the Proyecto Caraja in Cordoba, Argentina. Uh, we'll be working with all of those. We also picked up one at the very 11th hour on this last one, literally the day before the event, we picked up one called the Bali Street Moms, which ended up being a really nice thing, what we were able to build for them, a whole WooCommerce subscription model 
store. So anyway, so the answer is there's going to be a lot of different charities uh, and you can nominate a charity. If you, if there's one in particular that you know is uh, impacted by this, you can actually go in, create an account and nominate that charity and we'll absolutely consider it. But for now, at least we're trying to make, we're optimizing for having a positive experience for everyone, both the charities as well as the volunteers. And so if we get, you know, way too many of one or the other, we're going to likely throttle it to make sure that like overall the experience doesn't fall on its face. I like that. I mean, in terms of how many charities you get nominated, how many volunteers you have, you guys just structure, you know, multiple events that so you have the right number of volunteers per charity. So if anybody's interested, they can, you know, connect with you. You're going to tell them how, you know, to get involved and then you can connect them with the right charity makeover event that they can plug into and all that. So how, how do they go about doing that? Yep. So you can go to the website now. Uh, we have tickets. They're free, but they're going through Eventbrite. So you basically just go to charitymakeover.org, grab yourself a ticket. And then we have a little onboarding process that happens where you do about five minutes worth of work after that. So you go in, it, it automatically creates you an account. You log in, you update your profile, you tell it what skills you have. We have a list of about 120 different skills. So you kind of click through that list, see everything that you're able to do on there, check it off. And then that way we know what you're able to do. And then from there, there's kind of a little mini onboarding checklist. There's like a legal waiver and RSVP for the event itself. And you do uh, get your Slack access and go in and introduce yourself, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a few steps, um, but all that is done very intentionally. It's the idea is that we do the least amount of work to get the maximum amount of impact. And thus far, we found that this is the best onboarding process. This helps us know who we have to work with. And it helps the people who are applying to be able to see the charities that they're going to be working with and start to do that dating process of figuring out where they belong. I love that. And one of the other things that I love about this opportunity right now, Sean, is that there's a lot of people that are going through financial hardships right now, or they're in a period of financial uncertainty and they don't feel as comfortable maybe donating money as they once did because of the current situation. And so this is an opportunity that allows them to make a huge contribution in the current environment without having to donate money because they can donate their skills and their time. And even if they're just willing to literally do data entry and very basic stuff, they can still be part of a team that's making a huge contribution to people's lives without even having to donate money at this time. And I love that about the opportunity. Yeah, you know, our, our main tagline on the site says, you have a gift and it's the most charitable contribution you can make. And that is your skill set. And I truly believe that, that even if you had the choice of donate money versus donate what it is you've spent a lifetime learning how to do, I think that that unique skill that only you possess is actually your most valuable asset to contribute. And so we're really like our whole thing is trying to extract that and make it possible that everyone can contribute their unique skill in the most optimal way to help these charities. That's awesome. And I think, you know, it also gives people that, you know, the significance of, of mission and purpose and being able to contribute and to improve people's lives during this COVID-19 crisis. And it also gives you the feeling of camaraderie and working as a team and working with other people to create greater good in the world. And that alone is just such a 
morale booster and such a positive mental and emotional experience for people who are isolated, you know, and it gives them that virtual social connection and it gives them that ability to contribute something positively. So, you know, I I really, really love that opportunity for people right now. The other question I wanted to ask you, though, and the thing that comes to mind to me is, you know, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners that listen to the podcast and it strikes me that this would be an incredible opportunity for companies in terms of having their staff who are now all, you know, physically isolated in their own homes and working from home to be able to come together and contribute collectively as the staff of a company to something positive like charity makeover. Do you have opportunities for companies or businesses to like bring an entire group of their staff together to do something? So there's no restriction right now. There's nothing stopping a company from saying, hey, 30 employees, everyone go sign up for this charity makeover. Like you, they can certainly do that now. We haven't yet made any type of bulk sign up process for companies. We are tinkering, I can tell you, with this notion of what I'm calling the benefactor model. Because at some point, like we haven't charged for this. We don't ever intend to charge volunteers or the charities for this. But in order for it to be sustainable, we do at some point need to figure out a revenue model that works. What I'm thinking at this point, just to be flat out transparent, is we envision this notion of a, uh, what I call benefactor. So, uh, so there is a ticket price. It's just not borne by the volunteer. We have sponsors who will basically adopt a volunteer and sponsor that person to go do this good work. And in turn, you know, Under Armour, whoever the sponsor is, can then say, hey, look, we sponsored Matt to go work for East Bali Property Project. This is the outcome they were able to get for them. And we'll make it possible for them to represent that on their blog, you know, rock a little widget that shows what the impact of their contribution was. So I, I really think that there is some type of model there uh, and we're zeroing in on it. Uh, my hope is that I can scramble and get that in place by the April 11th event. If not by then, it'll follow soon thereafter. Awesome. And what is the charity makeover meta? What does that mean? Yeah. So this is where, uh, just because we are two people behind this whole effort, so we don't have a huge staff, uh, but what we do have access to is a lot of people uh, in these spikes around the events where they come together with all their skill sets to contribute. So we made uh, what we called CM meta is charity makeover. The entity itself has needs and we treat ourselves as one of the charities involved. So if we have spillover, and this is only in the event where all the other charities are well-serviced by the volunteer capacity that we have at that event, if there's people left over sitting on their hands saying, I don't know what to do, then we take those folks and we use their skills to improve and refine our own processes. Uh, and there's plenty, as you might imagine, I have a whole like open Trello board. Anyone can go see what the roadmap is, what features I'm looking to build next. But if we have technical skilled people or creative marketing people, like we'll use whoever we get to improve the entity itself. Awesome. Awesome, man. Cool. So let's switch gears a little bit here. And let me actually also ask you, because I know you mentioned that you've been working remotely, location independent, living in different places around the world for the last four plus years. There's a lot of people that are now working from home for the, in some cases, the first time, or in some cases, maybe they've been working from home, but their work from home situation is now very different because there's kids running around and there's, you know, all sorts of things have changed with the COVID-19 pandemic situation. So what tips do you have, Sean, in your four years of 
being productive in a re- location-dependent remote work environment? What tips can you share with folks? Yeah, I mean, I created a whole, a whole course on this subject. Uh, as you know, the Nomad Prep stuff was designed for a subset of these folks, not just remote workers, but people who wanted to, who are aspiring to go remote and then actually go travel around the world. Uh, so obviously the latter component of that in terms of the travel is off the table now, but all the tips that apply to those people in terms of like, how do you be productive? What tools do you use what, uh, mentally? What's the approach there? All of that other stuff still remains relevant. And so I've actually made this course entirely free with everything that happened. I just made a, I just decided like, Hey, some people are struggling with this. I don't need to make money on this. So I'm just going to give it away. So if you want to go through that whole thing, it's just basically use the discount code F U COVID all caps. And, uh, that will get you the, that entire program free. <laughs> um, but no, if I had to distill it down, uh, if I distill it down, I'd say, I think there's the isolation component you have to deal with. I think you address that through the techniques that we've talked about in terms of social connection, compensating, reaching out to people, using some of the technology we have like Zoom and FaceTime and whatnot to actually have face-to-face conversations with people that you ordinarily wouldn't. So that's, I think, the answer to the isolation is that. I think meditation can be hugely powerful. Uh, If you've never meditated before, this is a great opportunity to get into that. Headspace is what I would recommend for anyone approaching that for the first time. And then calm.com. And there's just some other ones like find what resonates with you and do that. I have kind of settled into my own version of it after having done Sam Harris's waking up. Uh, that was kind of an advanced uh, place to go after headspace. But anyways, I think everyone kind of finds what works for themselves there, but meditation is really powerful. And yeah, other than that, I think just finding things that allow you to compensate for the lack of presence throughout the day. So you know, having little breaks with your coworkers where you're just doing a water cooler conversation over Zoom. I organized something towards the end of my time at Pagely where we do like a Friday happy hour. Pagely, the entire company was distributed and remote. And so while it was an amazing culture and it was a really neat way to work, we never had like the actual happy hours or the lunches together or the, you know, that opportunity to bond around the water cooler. And so I set up, we, you know, I decidedly compensated for that and said, Hey, look, let's do a company wide happy hour. And it's, it's going to be happy hour for some, and it's going to be breakfast for others, but let's all meet at a certain time and just not talk about work. Let's just talk about what's going on and shoot the shit. And that's like, that was hugely powerful in terms of bringing people together and giving us some surface area outside of work. So those would be my tips in terms of the, the isolation stuff. And then that course has just all kinds of like each it's a 14 day course and each day is dedicated to something different. So if you want that again, it's F U COVID all one word uppercase. I love that. Dude, that's amazing that you've made that you made Nomad Prep Academy free. And, you know, the additional context that I want to add to that is number one, first of all, just go get it because it's free. That's amazing. And secondly, in addition to the remote work tips that you're going to be able to apply immediately and the resources that you link to in that that you're going to be able to use immediately. The other thing I love about this, Sean, is that what I've been telling people is you, know, you can also use this downtime, this isolated quarantine, whatever time, to plan the next chapter of your life. 
right? Mm -hmm. So however long this COVID thing takes, if it's three months, if it's six months, if it's 12 months, if it's 18 months, nobody knows how long it's going to be. But when it's over, then begins the next chapter of your life. So this is really your planning period, right? So if you want to transition, for example, into a nomadic traveling lifestyle, that requires planning (laughs) before you can do it. And so right Mm -hmm. now, if you have extra time on your hands and what you want to do, I think also to keep your spirits up, is to begin planning the next phase, the next chapter, right? The next era of the post-COVID-19 era of your life. What does that want to look like for you? And if for you, that means you want to be a world traveling nomad and you want to be all this kind of stuff, you can't do it now, but you can plan for it now. And you need to get those plans in place. You need to design it. You need to build the infrastructure. You need to set it up. So this is a perfect opportunity for you to build it and design it and set it up in addition to using those immediate work from home tips, dude. So I, I love that. I appreciate you making that free for the Maverick Show listeners. We are going to link that up in the show notes. And then, Sean, as the last question, just before we move into the lightning round and wrap this up, I know you're also a big fan of the Wim Hof method and you've been practicing you know, various different things like that. I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about either that or any other useful tools you think people should be able to have in their toolbox right now that might help them get through this crisis and, and come out you know, on the other side of this a little bit better, stronger, wiser, you know, however you want to frame that. But, you know, what other tools do you want to share with people right now or, or things that you're using that have helped you? Yeah, the, the Wim Hof stuff. So I do meditation every morning of kind of my own flavor. And then about every third morning, I'll do the Wim Hof. And what this is, it's a it's a breathing technique. It's basically pranayama breathing, I believe is the, the actual term for it. But it's a way where you're essentially slow hyperventilating and you do 40, a series of 40 breaths, and then you hold your breath. And I have gotten to the point where I hold my breath now for four and a half minutes. I don't understand all the science. And this is why I guess maybe I shouldn't recommend something where I don't fully understand the mechanism myself. I just know that it feels really good and that everything I read about it indicates that it does stimulate your parasympathetic nervous system, uh, leading to all the benefits we talked about with the immune system. So yeah, so Wim Hof has been really great. There's a free app out there you can get that helps you learn how to do it. Um, It's just W-I-M-H-O-F. And so yeah, I I strongly encourage that one. Uh, That's been a nice addition to the routine. I've been doing that for about six months now. Other things, I think for all the people facing remote work, there are a couple of resources that I'd recommend the guys from 37 Signals, now Basecamp, are the creators of Basecamp, Jason Freed and David Hanemeyer Hansen, they wrote a book called Remote. And I would say of anything out there, that's probably the best resource if you're facing this for the first time, how to make this transition. That is what I would steer you towards. Uh, so Remote by Jason Freed and David Hanemeyer Hansen. And then before doing that, if you just want to get inspired, there's a huge infographic kind of report that my friend Heaton Shaw put together. And that is at bit.ly slash remote report. It's a completely free, basically website out there, but he interviewed like over 500 remote workers and learned, just did kind of this open-ended qualitative survey 
and got all this data and then factored it into stats and like it just it's really well put together. Uh, but that is where I would start in, in terms of get inspired and realize that this is not only possible, but you can excel. You may find that like with this transition that you actually will never want to go back to being in person at your company again, because it is just a more efficient way to work. And I think it also unlocks creativity and a lot of people who kind of lean into it and embrace it. So um, remote report on Bitly uh, would be my other suggestion there. And yeah, everything else, like the Nomad Prep course, if you go through that, there's just a ton of resources that I link to in there. And so you'll you'll find all those eventually. Awesome, man. I still can't believe that's free. We are going to link up to everything that you just mentioned in the show notes. So people just heard you rattle through a bunch of stuff. All of those things, you're going to find links in the show notes. Just go to the maverickshow.com and just go to this episode, the Sean Tierney episode, and you are going to be able to find links to all of those things that Sean just mentioned. Now, Sean, anytime you and I are together, which we've been together on tons of continents and we've traveled all different places in the world together, we have amazing experiences with uh, you know, making sure that you are able to get on in front of a microphone with a guitar and play a song for an audience, whether that is me negotiating uh, you know, a paid professional performer at a bar in Brazil to give you his guitar and let you get in front of the microphone for six minutes to play a song to the audience in Portuguese uh, and have them go crazy or whether it's us sitting around with a bunch of nomads around a campfire and you singing and playing and everyone singing along or whether it's on a boat or whether it's, you know, wherever it is, whenever I roll with you, there's always either a jam session or you, you know, playing a song and just making an audience smile and, you know, really, really knowing, uh, you know, how to do that, whether it's on stage in front of an audience and whether it's at a bar in front of local people, you're able to pick a song, you're able to play something special and you're able to make people smile. And so I want to ask if you could do that on the Maverick show today for everyone listening and, you know, maybe play us one of your original numbers so that people can, you know, hear that from you. Yeah, man. So I've got a guitar here. I will play this is actually my favorite song that I've written, and this is the one that I performed on the last Nomad Cruise. Uh, so the name of this one is Jaded, and yeah, I'll just uh, we'll give it a shot and we'll see how well it works. So, okay.
while now And you can't tell me what's wrong She said, move it on, move it on I gotta go now She says, I'm moving on But I don't Sand in the air, and thrashing in a fit of rage. Where you going? In short, he was afraid. And the mermaid didn't know what to say. She said, I'm sorry, I should never have stayed. But I want to see their world. I've been living in the chambers of the sea. And the crab understood. Before you go, tell me, do you remember the night you were alone? When the currents were so strong that you couldn't hold your own? And don't you know I held you against the tide? Let's walk together, discover life. Walking, living, living at the bottom. Staring out through the ocean, at the clouds above. On this water, and though I've never been there, I've seen it in you. And if you look, you find it in me. I've been living, living at the bottom, You're staring up through the ocean, that sky above. And it all looks green to me. Jaded filter clouds your vision. And just close your eyes now, listen with your mind. Said you're a crab, and I'm a mermaid. Well, who makes the rules? He said, We can try. You know, I just want to affect you. Yeah, to feel your effects. Here to give love to you, not to expect a thing in return. Cause it's all we can do is to lie in the sun, warm sand. Clouds above and they seem green to me. There's a well beyond this water. Even though I've never been there, I've seen it in you. And if you look, you find it in me. I'm living, living at the bottom, staring out through the ocean. At the sky above, and it all looks green to me. If you learn to trust your mind's eye. Have a better vision You can learn to see To see Yeah, to see
became my noose If it's all the better, she'd have cut me loose She left me swinging out on my rope And it was dreams of desire and a thread of hope And there's a hundred stars up in the sky, I know A billion more are there, I'm told But there's only one sun from where I stand and there's a hundred girls in the world, I know And there's a billion more up there, I'm told But there's only one Who's brighter than the sun to me And you know that I would live with her If it were up to me And I would give her time And I would let her see that it would work out Things that never work out that way You know the stars will go away when the day comes There's no out there But you're just blinded by the sun Your perception is wrong A misperception Yeah, that's always standing too close Amazing, man. That is one of my favorite songs of yours. Thank you so much for playing it. Oh, show. If people want to hear more of your music, man, uh, is there a place that they can go, a central repository where they can go and check out more of your songs? Yeah. So I have my SoundCloud on my blog, which is scrolling on dubs. <laughs> scrolling, no G, scrolling on dubs.com. <laughs> yeah, it is. <laughs> I love that man <laughs> that makes me so happy alright Sean at this point are you ready to move into the lightning round let's do it brother let's do it the lightning round alright what is one now I gotta come up with new lightning round questions because this is your third time <laughs> on the Maverick show so I'm really pushing the envelope here with additional lightning round questions. Uh, let me ask you this, though. You have not answered this one before. What is one podcast besides yours and mine <laughs> uh, that you are listening to or that you would recommend people check out? So I would have to say, I'm going to give two. Uh, Tim Ferriss is just the OG podcaster. I just, I love his guests. And so I would say Tim Ferriss would be my top one. And then, and also just for the fact that, as you know, like everyone has read the four hour work week. That was such a seminal work in terms of like this whole space and moving people to the nomadic lifestyle. Uh, so he's just like, he's made some incredible contributions, his book of Titans, all that stuff. So, uh, so Tim Ferriss for the podcast, uh, but I would also throw out there, there's another one by a guy named Naval Ravenkant. Uh, these are little bite-sized episodes, like five minutes each. And I think he's just like a sage, honestly. Like I think he's like a VC investor guy who's also just like some prophet of, he's just really enlightened. And the advice that he gives is so well thought and 
distilled and valuable. So I would say Naval Ravenkant's uh, podcast. Awesome. And by the way, speaking of podcasts, I also wanted to ask you about the mini Maverick Show meetup that uh, we organized in Bali. I was actually not there, but I had about, I want to say like eight to 10 of my podcast guests happened to be in Bali at the exact same time, which was crazy. Uh, yeah. And so you guys got you got a chance to meet a number of the other Maverick Show podcast guests, and I just wanted to ask you about you know how that was, and you know what was your experience? Yeah, it was dope. It was really high caliber people, and it was so cool having like listened to all their all their episodes, and then to have everyone in the room. It's just uh, it's pretty amazing. So yeah, that was a that was an awesome awesome night. Okay. Sean, if you could go back in time now, knowing everything that you know and everything that you've experienced, and you can give one piece of advice to your 18-year-old self, what would you say to 18-year-old Sean? I would tell myself to pick up meditation earlier. (laughs) That's something that I discovered later in life, and I think it would have been really helpful just with kind of the angsty period that I think a lot of people go through around like high school and even college. Um, I just think that that would have been an amazing skill to have earlier. So that's probably what I would tell myself is just, Hey, dude, chill out. It's going to be all right. And this meditation stuff is like really powerful. So learn it earlier. Awesome. All right. Now, Sean, you know, there's a couple of things that you and I have really bonded on over the years. And, uh, you know, two of the top ones are wine and hip hop, (laughs) I would have to say, because those two things seem to feature prominently into everything we do when we get together. Now, on the last two episodes, if anyone has not listened to the last two Sean Tierney episodes, on the first one, I asked you to name your top five hip hop MCs of all time which you did. And then on the second episode, I was trying to come up with new lightning round questions. And you told me that you had prepared your next five hip hop MCs, like number six through 10, because you were anticipating that I would ask the question again and that I would want your six through 10. So you dropped your six through 10. So Maverick Show listeners know Sean Tierney's top 10 hip hop MCs. Now, Tonight, you are actually the first guest that has ever appeared three times on The Maverick Show. And I feel like in this tradition, (laughs) I should probably ask you for your next five favorite hip hop MCs, numbers 11 through 15. So if people want to know your top 10, uh, they can go back to episodes one and two and they can hear your top five and then your next five. So tonight, Sean, your third five hip-hop MCs, numbers 11 through 15, who are they? <laughs> uh, man, first off, I'm so honored. <laughs> but uh, yeah, we're going to dig deep here. I'm going to throw some curveballs because I'm not used to having to rattle off my top 15 <laughs> hip-hop artists. Um, so <laughs> I'm going to go I'm gonna go number 11. I'm going to say DMX just for his... Like, clearly not the lyrics, because I think uh, Wired Magazine had done some study on, like, hip-hop artists and who was the most prolific in terms of, like, varying their choice of words and their vocabulary and whatnot. I think DMX was the least on that skill. 
but just from the pure energy and the uh, DMX dog, uh, just like just his attitude. I got to go with DMX for number 11. Okay. And let's go for number 12. I will say throwback to the old school run DMC. Yep. Number 13, let's say Tupac. I'd say number 14. Yep. I'm going to go with Kanye, even though I feel like I wouldn't get along with him in person, but he does have some good music. And then number 15, I'm going to say Chuck D. Nice. That's <laughs> a great pick, man. Well done. All right, Sean, for the final lightning round question. I am currently in North Carolina today. Yep. And Petey <laughs> Pablo is, is from <laughs> Petey Pablo is from North Carolina. And I hear that you do a mean Petey Pablo impression. So I'm wondering <laughs> if you can take us out with a Petey Pablo impression for the Maverick Show listeners. North Carolina, raise up, take your shirt off, twist it around your head, spin it like a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> there it is. And there is no better note to close on than that. Represent Petey Pablo, North Kakalaki, and we're going to take it out on that note, my friend. Now, Sean, tell people how they can connect with you, how they can follow you on social media, how they can learn more about Charity Makeover if they want to nominate a charity, if they are a company that's interested in getting their staff involved as a group activity to do something positive, or if they're an individual person anywhere in the world that would like to contribute their skills to a Charity Makeover event, how do they find you and learn more about getting involved? Yeah. So social media stuff is easy. I'm basically scrolling on dubs on every form of social media. So the blog is scrolling on dubs.com and everything else, Instagram, whatever, snip, snap, chip, chat, whatever the next thing is, I'm sure we'll be scrolling on dubs. Uh, for the charity makeover stuff, it's just charitymakeover.org. You can go, uh, and like you said, whether you're a company or a charity or a volunteer Whatever your position, we have the app now in place. So you just go to the site, you sign up, uh, create yourself an account, and you can nominate charities, you can nominate sponsors, you can give us your skill set and tell us how you want to be involved. And we will field every and anyone who uh, wants to sign up. We will try to find a place for you. If not on this next event, because I don't know what the demand is going to be. Uh, we actually have, uh, we're working with some fairly big names right now to potentially promote this at a large scale. So I don't know if you don't get in on this next event, we will get you involved at some point, but uh, yeah, it would be great. We'd love to have everyone there. And I think you will find it to be a very rewarding experience. Amazing. Dude, I'm so excited about the scaling potential and the good you guys are going to be able to do with a completely virtual infrastructure in terms of the volunteers you're going to be able to recruit, the charities you're going to be able to help. So if you're an individual person, donate your skills. It can really help significantly at this time when so many organizations need a lot of help to continue the good that they're doing in the world, particularly in this COVID-19 era. So check it out volunteer yourselves. And if you're a charity that needs help, by all means, definitely sign up and contact and register or let, if you know a charity, let them know about it and have them connect as well so they can get 
the help and support that they need as well. Sean, this has been amazing. We're going to link everything up in the show notes. Folks, Maverick, themaverickshow.com is where you want to go in one place. Links to everything we discussed in this episode, including how to get Sean's Nomad Prep Academy for free to give you those remote work resources and tips, as well as to help you plan the next phase of your life in the post-COVID-19 era, which you need to start doing now. So all that stuff is going to be in one place, themaverickshow.com. Go to the show notes for this episode. You'll find it there. Sean, this has been another awesome conversation, my man. Thank you so much for coming back on the show. Thanks, man. Always a pleasure. Be well. All right. Good night, everybody. Be sure to visit the show notes page at themaverickshow.com for direct links to all the books, people, and resources mentioned in this episode. You'll find all that and much more at themaverickshow.com. If you like podcasts, you will love audiobooks, and you can get your first one for free at themaverickshow.com slash audiobook. Whether you want the latest best-selling novels or books on investing, business, or travel, try your first audiobook for free at themaverickshow.com forward slash audiobook. Learn how Maverick Investor Group can help you by cash-flowing rental properties in the best U.S. real estate markets, regardless of where you live. Schedule a free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com slash consult. Now you can buy rental properties with tenants and local property management in place so you don't have to be a landlord or a rehabber. To get your questions answered and discuss how Maverick Investor Group can help you meet your real estate investing goals, schedule your free phone consult today at themaverickshow.com forward slash consults.